All right, so who remembers back in high school? Now, some of you are probably still in there, maybe middle school, but think back to those days, and who remembers group projects? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, those stink. I hate them, all right? Some of you despise group projects, and I'm right there with you. I am an introvert. I don't like working with other people on a project. Sorry for my fellow staff members out there. Love you, but... uh, I'm more of an introvert, type A. I'd rather just knock it out on my own. So group projects back in high school were not my thing. I did not enjoy them. And some of you would be in that same boat. Now, some of you are the opposite. You're like, yes, I love working with people. I want to do it as a team. I want to work together. And group projects were your thing, right? Now, here's the thing. Wherever you're at, whether you hate group projects or love them, the one thing I think we can agree on is this, is that we're always ticked off by the person who's in the group and they do none of the work, but they get all the credit, right? And they benefit from all of your hard work, right? That just is the worst. Now, what's worse than having those type of people in your group project at school is having those people in the church. And those people do exist in the church, people who are not working hard and other people are working, and they're expecting to benefit from the others who are putting in the work. And that is the issue Paul is going to address as we continue in 2 Thessalonians. And we are almost at the end. There's one more sermon next week. So we'll be almost done with 2 Thessalonians. And in this book, in the end of this letter, Paul is going to address a group of people in the church who are being idle. Right? He's going to address the topic of idleness, that they're not working, that they're being lazy, and other people in the church are carrying the load. And these idle people are expecting to benefit from the others. And so Paul is going to address that issue this morning. And so before we dive into kind of how he responds, let's read the passage and get a feel for what's going on in this church. I'm going to pick it up in chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But we, with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." So Paul has some pretty strong words here, and he is coming down pretty hard on people in the church who are being idle. And he does two big things in this passage. He first, he kind of addresses the problem, and then he responds to the problem by giving some commands and encouragements and some things that the church needs to be doing. And so let's start with the problem, and then we'll talk about his response. I already told you the main problem is that people are in the church are being idle. And we don't exactly know why they were doing that. Like the passage in the letter doesn't give us any indication as to necessarily why there's this group of people in the church who are just being lazy and they're not working. Now, some scholars would say it's because of the second coming, that they've been hearing about the second coming of Jesus. Paul has been teaching them about that. And so they're thinking, hey, if Jesus is going to come back soon, why keep working? 
Like, why keep working my tail off if Jesus is going to come back? Why not just sit back, relax, kick back, and enjoy the ride? Some scholars would say that. Some scholars would say they're just pure lazy. And maybe there's wealthier people in the church who they can exploit and they can lean on. And so they're allowing those people to work, and they're not working and just exploiting the people who have more money. So there could be various reasons, but what we do know is that there is this group of people that are being idle, and Paul is not having it. And Paul is not going to let them slide, and Paul has some things to say to them in this letter. Now let's look back at the passage, because I want you to see exactly what does it mean when Paul says you're being idle, or he says, I want to call out idleness. And when he uses the word idleness, what that means is uh, undisciplined, irresponsible, or disorderly. So these are people in the church who are not disciplined, they're not doing things in an orderly fashion, they're irresponsible. And, in the, and while they're doing all that, they're allowing the rest of the church who are disciplined, who are responsible, who's putting in the work, they're trying to benefit from them. And then Paul calls them busybodies, all right? And basically what that means is Paul says, okay, you're not working, so you have all this extra time, and what are you doing with it? You're getting in other people's business, Right? Like that group project person, like do your work, get out of my business. Like they have no, no they have all this time because they're not working. And so they're using that time to meddle in the affairs of others in the church. And Paul says that is a problem. Now here's the biggest problem with this group. Not only are they idle, not only are they busybodies getting in people's business, but the biggest problem is this, is that they are defiant in their attitude that they know what they're doing is wrong. They know Paul has told them to stop it, but they continue in it. They're digging their heels in and saying, no, I'm going to continue in my idleness. And so Paul has warned them multiple times. He just warned them in the passage. But then if you go back to 1 Thessalonians, he actually already warned them a a first time. And this is what he said back in 1 Thessalonians. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So this isn't the first time in the passage we looked at this morning that Paul is telling this group to get to work. He's already told them before in the first letter. And so they've they've been warned. They're not listening. They say, Paul, I know you're telling me what I'm doing is wrong, but I don't care. I'm going to continue in my idleness. And he is warning them once again in 2 Thessalonians. And that is the biggest problem with this group is they are walking in disobedience from what God has told them through Paul. Now, before we look at his response, because that's the bulk of the passage, I want to make sure you understand exactly who Paul is talking to when he says the idol. Because if we're not careful, we can throw a lot of people in this category of idol that truly are not idol, and then we could treat them in ways that we shouldn't. And so when Paul says those in the church are being idle, if you look at verse 10, he says those who are not willing to work. All right, that phrase is important. Those who are not willing to work. He's not talking about those who cannot work. He's talking about those who can work, who should work, who have the ability to work, but they're choosing not to in their laziness and they're practicing idleness. See, Paul knows there are people in this, that church, there's people in our church, there's people in churches across the globe who truly cannot work. And there might be various reasons for that. And all throughout Paul's letters, he tells the church, hey, if there's those in your congregation who are needy, who need help, who need to be provided for, church, that's your responsibility. That you care for those people, you love those people, you meet the needs of those people. And that's not who Paul's talking about. 
And if we're not careful, we throw tons of people in this category who truly need our help, and we ignore them, and we don't treat them the way God commands us to as a church. So he's not talking about those who cannot work. He's talking about those who are not willing to work. That's who he's addressing in this passage. So that's the problem. There's a group in this church who are being idle. They're practicing idleness. But Paul is going to respond, and he is going to give the church a couple of commands, a couple of things that they need to do in response to this problem. And he starts with all of us. And he says to all of us, we should follow his example, that we should follow his example. You might have caught it, but Paul gives himself as an example. He says, you've seen the way I've worked. And he uses we because he's talking about himself. He's talking about the other apostles, the other church leaders And he says, you've seen the way that we have worked. We've worked hard, right? He says, we've busted our tail to serve you and to love you. We haven't came to you taking. We came to you to give. And you might have caught it, but Paul actually says, we have the right to ask for you to provide for us. Like as an apostle, as a leader in the church, he had the right to say to the church, hey, you need to compensate me for my ministry. He had that right. But he chose to waive that right. He chose to say, you know what? I'm not going to ask you to pay me because I want to bless you. I don't want to take from you. I want to be a giver, not a taker. And we know from other parts of scripture that he was a tent maker. So he had a career on the side that he was doing to make money so that when he ministered to the church, he wasn't going to them and asking them for money. He was saying, you know what? I will work my butt off over here so I can come to you and bless you and serve you and love you. And I just want to pause and take a second, because this is an important moment for me as one of our pastors to say thank you. Thank you for your faithful, consistent giving. There are so many of you that I know who give faithfully to our church, and because of that, as one of our pastors, as one of our staff members, we're compensated well. All right, We're compensated well, and that's because of your giving. Now hear me. We're not millionaires, all right? If you haven't checked, uh, we're not making big bucks like you think. Uh, like I'm not wearing designer clothes just Old Navy. I told you that a couple weeks ago. That's all I have, right? Old Navy. Uh, I don't have a jet over at Kent State Airport. I have a Toyota Corolla out there beside your cars in the parking lot, right? So we're not those pastors. We're not a staff team that's in here rolling in dough like some churches are, but we are taken care of, and that's because of your giving. And I just want to say as one of the pastors, thank you. Thank you for that. But Paul here is in a situation where he had that right, where he could have got paid, but he said, I don't want to. Because I want to bless you. And as a church planner, that's what he was. He was planning a church. And many times when you plan a church like Paul did, you have a church that's young, you have a church that's small, and you have a church a lot of times that's very immature in their faith. And so they're not maybe giving the way some other churches do. And so Paul, as a church planner, had to realize, okay, maybe I cannot go to this church and get compensated, but I want to love the church, I want to serve the church, so I'm going to go bust my tail over here so I can serve the church and not ask them for money. And I know a lot of guys, I know friends that are in that situation planning churches, and that's a noble position because it reveals the heart of that pastor for that church. And that's what we see in Paul's heart right here. Now, what I want to do is I want to highlight two things from Paul's example, because there's two things about work that Paul implies that are important. And the first is this, is that when we work, we work in order to give, not to take, right? The whole reason you and I should work hard is so we can be like Paul and be people who give and not take from others, all right? We should be givers, not takers. We should be a blessing, not a burden, 
And so many of us, if we're not careful, we're a burden to other people, and we should follow Paul's example and work hard so that we can be a blessing, not a burden. So let me, let me encourage you, ask yourself that question. Are you a burden or are you a blessing? Now let me give you some categories to think about that. So think about your spouse if you're married. Are you a blessing to your spouse or are you a burden, right? And I'll let the spouse answer. I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer. Um, but, but are you a burden or blessing? Are you taking from your spouse? Are you a burden to them? Are you blessing them? Are you working hard so you can bless them, not take from them? All right. What about your family? What about your kids? Like, are you working hard so you can bless them? Are you being a burden to them? Are you sucking the joy and the life out of your family? Or are you blessing and giving life to your family? What about uh, your employer? All right? Think about where you work. Are you going to work and are you working hard so you can be a blessing to your employer? Or are you going there and you're just kind of sliding by? Are you just doing a little bit? Are you one of those employees that the boss is like, ah, like, you're still on the team? Darn, like, like, are you giving or are you taking to your employer? Think about the people you work with. Like, are you a blessing at your workplace? Do you bring life and joy? Or are you just going in and sucking all that out and you're just being a burden to the other people? Think about your church, right? Your church, are you coming here to be a blessing or a burden? Are you coming here to give and to serve and to say, this is my church, I want a part of this ministry, I want to invest? Or are you coming and expecting everyone else to do the work and expect them to give you what you're looking for? Are you a blessing or a burden to your church? And so we need to ask ourselves, when it comes to working hard, like Paul, we need to make sure we're doing it to give, not to take. That's the first thing. The second thing he highlights is we need to understand this, that we should not find our identity in our work. We should not find our identity in our work. So Paul was a tent maker. I just told you that. But nowhere in the scriptures does Paul ever introduce himself as a tent maker. Like he doesn't open up his letters to the church and say, hey, Paul, I'm a tent maker here. Let me tell you about Jesus. He doesn't do that, right? He introduces himself as an apostle. And many times he actually introduces himself as a servant of Jesus. He doesn't even use his title as an apostle many times. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus. He never introduces himself as a tent maker. Why? Because he knew that he was a disciple first and then a tent maker. He knew that his number one identity was in Christ, that he was a son of God. That is who he was. He happened to make tents. He happens to minister to the church. He happens to plant churches. But at the end of the day, he was a disciple of Jesus. And that order matters. And it matters for us. And I'll be honest, I, I love that I get to be a pastor here. It is a joy. I love that I get to do that for my job. And many times, if I'm not careful, I let that slip into my identity. I start to think, okay, I'm a pastor. That's who I am. That's what kind of dominates my life. And I forget, no, I'm a disciple that happens to be a pastor, right? My job to, here at this church could go away tomorrow, and I will still be a disciple because that is my identity, who I am in Christ. And if you love your job, you might struggle with that as well. And if you're in this room and you're one of those people that loves working hard and maybe you struggle with work, uh, work uh, being a workaholic, you might tip, tap into this a little bit too. And so let me give you something to think about. This is going to be on the screen. I want you to remember that you are a, insert your title, whatever your job is. You're a teacher, you're a realtor, you're uh, a stay-at-home mom. Whatever you are, you insert your job. You are not a, whatever your job is, that happens to be a disciple. What you are instead, you are a disciple that happens to be whatever your job is. 
right? You're not a teacher. You're not a realtor that happens to be a disciple. No, you are a disciple of Jesus first that happens to do whatever you do for a living. And that living and what you do for work could change, but you being a disciple of Jesus doesn't. That is your identity. And so work is good, and work is something we should enjoy and get satisfaction of like Paul does, but we should never find our identity in it. Never. You're a disciple first. And so Paul says to the church, all right, follow my example. But then Paul is going to turn to the idol, because this is the group that he is really addressing in this passage. He says, all right, okay, the idol, those that are not working, those that are being undisciplined and lazy and expecting everyone else to do the work, I have something to say to you. And this is what he says, get to work. It's very simple and very straightforward. He says, get to work. Now, I thought about how can I say that a little better, but then I'm like, well, Paul already said it. Paul just says, get your butt into gear. Get to work. If you can work, if you are able to work, you need to be working, right? If you are not, you are practicing idleness. And you need to understand, Paul doesn't say this is a suggestion. Like, he's not saying, hey, hey, you should kind of do this. Like, let me help you out. He says, no, I command you to get to work. He even names drop Jesus. He's like, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get to work. He's serious about this. And the reason he is so serious about this, and the reason he tells the idol, and really tells all of us to get to work, is because work is a normal and good thing. Like, work was here before sin. Like, many times we think that sin came in the world and ruined it, and because of that, now we have to work. And that's why work is so hard, right? That's not the case, all right? So, so work was here first. Like, God created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden. He gave them work to do. And then sin came. So work was here first. So work is a part of God's good creation. And we are created to be workers. We are created to do stuff and to make things and to be, you know, to be productive. That's part of how God created us. Now sin did come into the picture and sin messed with everything, including work. And so at times work is hard, work is frustrating, work is not fulfilling, and that's because of sin. Right, and, and let me just say, I know some of you think you're like, Austin, that's easy for you to say. You work at Redemption Chapel. It's awesome, right? And when we hire people, we know some people in our church a lot of times will apply. And when we sit down with an interview, one of the things we'll ask is, hey, why do you want to work at our church? And so often the response is like, oh, I've just been coming here for so many years. I'm blessed by it. I just want to work at the church because it looks awesome. And then we say, we're not hiring you, right? Uh, because honestly, It's a job, just like anything else. I love that I get to work here, but just like your jobs, there's days it's long. There's days it's hard. There's weeks that it's frustrating. But that doesn't mean work is bad. That doesn't mean that I quit and I just sit back and say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. No, we keep pushing, but work is normal. Work is good. And the reason Paul is coming down so hard on these people in the church who are being idle, the reason he is coming down on them with such harshness is this, is that when you are idle, When you are choosing not to work, when you can work, you are rebelling against God's good plan for your life. God created you to work. God created you to do stuff. And when you choose not to do that, when you can do that, you are turning your back on God's design and not following through the plan that he has for your life. And that is why Paul is coming down so hard. So Paul says to the church, follow my example. And then he says, okay, if you're idle, you need to get to work. But then he addresses those, or then he addresses the church and says, okay, church, here's what you need to do. If people continue in idleness, if people continue in this sin, you need to practice church discipline. 
And that's always a fun thing to talk about. So let's talk about church discipline, all right? But here's the thing. This is one of the reasons we push, we preach through books, right? We preach whatever is in the scriptures, and Paul spends a lot of this passage at the end diving into church discipline. And that's because Paul says if someone continues in unrepentant sin, right, and that's a key, unrepentant sin, not like when they sin, boom, church discipline. But if someone is in unrepentant sin, they are continuing to walk in sin, and they are not listening to the warnings of Scripture, they're not listening to the warnings of the church that you should practice church discipline. Now, before he gets into church discipline, he throws this little verse in verse 13. It's on the screen. He says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And when you first read this passage, it seems a little out of place. Like you're reading about, you know, don't, you know, uh, do this, do this. And then he says, okay, church, don't grow weary in doing good. Bam, let's talk about church discipline. Like it's kind of a weird jump. But Paul is putting a reminder in here. Before he gets into the nuts and bolts of church discipline, he wants the church to know, hey, don't give up on doing good. Don't give up on doing the things that you should. Because here's what's happening is the people in the church that are working hard and, and they're following the Lord and they realize part of following the Lord is caring for others and caring for the people in their church that desperately need it. But they might be tempted to give up on that. Because there's some in the church who are not doing their part. There's some people in the church who are not working hard. And maybe uh, now those people are thinking like, do I keep giving to people when I don't even know who actually needs it and who's being idle? Like the lines are being blurred. And they might be thinking, man, if there's people in this church that aren't working and they're not doing anything, why am I going to keep busting my tail to do all the work? And they could be tempted to pull back and to pull back from caring for those who need it. And Paul wants them to know. If there's idle people or there's not idle people, do not give up doing the good work of loving and caring and serving for the other people in the body of Christ. And he wants them to know that. But then he does say, okay, church, there is something to do. That if there is people in your church who are continuing to walk in unrepentant sin, which includes idleness in this passage, you need to go through church discipline. And he gets into that. He actually starts the passage with it in verse 6, and then he comes back to it at the end of the passage in verse 14 and 15. And Paul tells the church that if there is people continuing in the sin, to go through the steps of church discipline. And he's telling them to do that because the point of church discipline is to protect the church, right? It's to protect the church, to protect the gospel, to protect the testimony of the church. And so they need to follow through these steps. Now, if you don't know much about church discipline, let me give you a quick kind of reminder of what it is. In Scripture, we see it in Matthew 18, right? Jesus is talking, and Jesus says, hey, when there's sin in the church, there's some steps to follow. And he says, first, the first thing you do, the first step of church discipline, is you go to someone personally. So if someone is in unrepentant sin or someone offends you in some way, you don't go to Facebook and blast that. Right? You don't gossip with your community group or with your men's or women's Bible study table. No, you go to that person one-on-one and you address the problem and you call them to repentance. That's the first step. And then Jesus says, okay, if that doesn't work, if that step doesn't go through, then you need to take some people with you. Right? Don't take like 100 people. Right? Just take a couple of people. You take a couple of people and you call that person to repentance again. And you say, hey, I want you to repent, and you point out the problem, and you talk to them, and you urge them to walk in step with Scripture. That's step two. But what happens if they continue? What happens if someone doesn't listen to the one-on-one, they don't listen when you go back, and they continue in their sin? Jesus says, then you take it to the church. 
you take it to the church. And that means you take it to the members of the church and you tell it, right? And that's when elders are involved. And that's where you have to sometimes remove people from the membership of the church, not because you don't like them, not because you want to kick them out, but because they are not walking in step with Jesus. And you need to protect the church. And at times that means removing people who are not representing Christ well. So think about it like this. I mean, if you have an infection, right, if there's an infection in your body, and if you don't deal with that infection, what's going to happen? It's just going to get worse, and it's going to take over more of the body. And so just like an infection, if there's something wrong in your body, you go get it fixed. You take care of it before it gets worse, and that is what church discipline is. It's taking care of a problem in the church before it bleeds into the whole membership of the church. And so Paul teaches that. Right? Jesus taught it in the Gospels, and then Paul teaches that in all, most of all his letters. He deals with church discipline to some extent. And there's times he talks about removing people from the church. He talks about uh, you know, creating separation from people like he does in this passage because of their sin. And so we as a church, we love the Bible. We love the scriptures. We, don't, we want to obey the Bible, so that means we do church discipline. And that means that we take church discipline very seriously. And we realize as a church that is not always easy, but we know we have to because we want to protect the testimony of the gospel. We want to protect the testimony of Redemption Chapel. And so we follow the steps that Jesus lays out, that we expect our members to be in community with one another. And we expect in that community that if someone sins or someone offends, that there's people in our membership that go to one another and talk it out. They're mature disciples. They deal with it. Now, if that doesn't work, we expect it to go to the next step. And if that doesn't work, unfortunately, we know that it has to get told to the church. And our elders get involved, and they investigate, and they walk through the situation with the person. And at times, we have to remove people from membership, and we've done that. And we don't do that because we want to kick people out, and we don't want them to come back. In almost every case, we tell people, hey, yes, you're removed from membership because of these reasons, but the doors are open to you. This is a place for you to worship. You might be removed from membership and some of the things that come with that, but you are never removed from the worship of Jesus at this church. And that is what we do, and that's what Paul teaches in this passage. So let me give you some heart. Because here's the thing, like I just laid out a little bit of like, okay, what Jesus says about church discipline, what Paul says, and you're like, that sounds kind of harsh, and it kind of is intentionally, but I, I want you to know there's a heart behind it. Like, there's, there's a reason behind it. And if you don't know the heart, you can sometimes get hung up on maybe the harshness of it. So let me give you some heart. First, church discipline is hard, but it's necessary. It is so hard, but it's necessary. Like, when someone goes or walks into sin at our church, like someone's in sin, they're not repenting, uh, you know, they're, they're really just defiant in their sin. And we have to start this process of church discipline. When that happens, we're not like sitting in our offices of the staff team, like, yes, we get to put someone through church discipline. Like, this is going to be awesome. No, we don't do that. Like, there's times we've been sitting in our offices as pastors, and we have cried over people in our church that are walking in sin that we want to see them repent. A lot of times there's frustrations because we want that person to come back to Jesus and walk with him and be healthy. It is not easy. It's hard, but we know it is necessary that we have to to do it. The Lord commands us to do it, so we're going to do it, and we love our church, and we love the gospel enough that we're going to do the hard work to protect this ministry. So it's hard, but it is necessary. The second thing you need to know about church discipline is it's a process. It's a process. 
So, so when someone screws up, we don't just like throw them into church discipline. Like, oh, you lied to someone. Oh, you're out of the church, right? We don't do that. If we put everyone through church discipline the moment you sin, you wouldn't have pastors, you wouldn't have members, you, most of you wouldn't be here, right? I get that. It's a process. The only time we put someone through church discipline, and the reason this, and the, what Scripture says, is if you're in unrepentant sin. So you're continuing to run from God when he clearly says, stop doing this, and you've been warned by the church. So it's a process we put someone in, and it takes time. Like, it doesn't happen in two days or like a week or like overnight. Like, it takes time. And the reason it's a process, the reason it takes time is we want people to repent. That we want people to have time to, to be warned over their sin and to return and to repent of their sin. We don't want to just jump to the last step and kick them out. We want to give them time to repent. And so it is a process. But ultimately that process does have an end. That that process does have a final step. And that final step, like I said many times, is to remove someone. But I want you to know the purpose is restoration. The purpose of church discipline is to restore someone back. So when we have to do church discipline, we're not thinking, man, we just want to get rid of this person. Like there's such a problem. Let's just be done with it. No, our heart is one of love where we say we love our brothers and sisters so much. And we love this particular brother or sister so much that we will go through the church of steps, church, steps of church discipline. And it will be hard and it will be painful, but the process and all of that is pointing to restoration, that we want them to repent. We want them to be healthy. And that's why at the end of the passage, you might have caught it, Paul says, do not treat the person you're putting through church discipline like an enemy. Treat them like a brother. You don't treat them like an enemy, and that's easy to do. When someone's in the church discipline process, it's easy to start treating them like uh, the enemy, but they're not. They're a brother or sister who is walking in sin, who needs us to come alongside them and warn them and say, come back. And our heart and our purpose of church discipline is to restore, even if we do remove them. We remove them with the hope that they feel the sting of their sin to only repent and to be restored to the body of Christ. And so that is our heart. That's the heart of the scriptures. And when Paul tells this church, hey, practice church discipline, that's what he has in mind. It's hard, but it's necessary. It's a process, but ultimately it's for the purpose of restoration. Now here's the thing. You might be thinking, like, that's, that's some harsh stuff for idleness. Like, I could see if we're talking about, like, sexual morality or talking about some, like, sin that we think is so terrible, we're thinking, Paul, you're talking about people just not working. Like, we're really going to put people through church discipline for being lazy? And the answer is yes. Paul says the gospel is that important. The church and the testimony of the church is that important that there is not one sin that we turn our eye to and say, not that, but we're going to do this. He says all sin is a danger to the church, and we want to protect the church, and that is why he addresses church discipline, even in a passage on something like idleness. And so what I would love to do for us as we end our time, I would love to pray. And I would love to ask the Lord to help us. Help us be a church full of hard workers, right? We saw that earlier that Paul wants us to be people who work hard. And whatever you do, if, you, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're working at the school, if you're a lawyer, I don't know what you do for a job. Whatever you do, that you would be a hard worker. And if you're in this room, and I know there could be some of you that maybe you're guilty of idleness like this passage says. And if you're guilty of that, I would ask you to repent and to get to work. 
And then for all of us, let's commit to be a church, a church that loves the gospel, a church that loves each other enough that we keep each other accountable. And if that means at times going through church discipline, we do it because we love Jesus and we love each other that much. All right. Well, let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word tells us uh, how we need to respond to problems in the church. And Lord, when we look at this instance, God, there's this church where people are walking in idleness. And God, you say through Paul, get to work. God, you tell us all to be hard workers. And then you tell us at times to do church discipline. And God, that's hard. But we know we need to. God, I I love this church. I love these people. God, we want to be a church that takes sin seriously because we want to protect your gospel and your church. And so God, help us to do that. God, help us not to hopefully have to get there. Help us first to be hard workers and to walk with you in obedience so church discipline isn't the norm. God, we pray for that. We love you. We ask that you continue to bless this body. And in Christ's name.